It's episode 24 of the PN2 Party Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Isaacson, as always. And on today's show, how's Splatoon 2 looking? And will Destiny 2 be worth the wait? But first, oh boy. Okay, so as I'm recording this, San Diego Comic-Con is just kicking off. And as you know, San Diego Comic-Con is where pretty much everything comes out involving everything beyond video games. So movies, TV, comic books in some cases maybe novels, and some video games as well. And it's already starting to heat up on day one. And let me just say, ha ha ha, because one of my favorite franchises of all time is getting a reboot of sorts. Now, when I say reboot and sorts, uh, it's not necessarily restarting the franchise, but it's going back to essentially origins. Of course, I'm talking about Stargate. Origins. Now, Stargate SG-1, easily one of my favorite TV shows of all time. Uh, Stargate Atlantis was a great follow-up. Um, Stargate Universe only lasted two seasons and probably didn't do as well as it could have, but it had its moments. But since then, we've sort of gone into this lull of absolutely nothing. It kind of feels like the lull after Star Trek Voyager and then Star Trek Enterprise finished and there was nothing for ages until the movie reboot. And you were left wondering, you know, why are these franchises so beloved and so enjoyed by millions of people around the world and there's nothing work going on with them, there's nothing happening with them. You know, it took forever for them to finally get that Star Trek movie up and running and now they've done a few more and they've got a new TV series, which is great. Stargate deserves that too. It's one of those franchises I've always loved and it's been very quiet on that front for a while. We, we knew for a time that the original creators of the Stargate movie, which is what SG-1 was based on, were looking at a sequel or a series of sequels based on the movie universe, so it could basically just retcon SG-1 and and Atlantis entirely, it would just ignore all the TV show stuff, it would be like an alternate universe sort of concept, kind of like what Lucasfilm did with the expanded universe in Star Wars, although in this case it's a proper award-winning TV show and you just got to ignore it. Obviously a lot of people didn't like that. And ever since, the movies just disappeared off the radar. And then this morning, they've announced... Well, they've announced two things. So they've announced Stargate Command, which is a new online streaming service. For some reason, the first thing I thought of was, oh, it's Stargate like it is for Hogwarts. It's <laughs> it's that, that element of having an entire online server dedicated to that one IP, which is what... Uh, Warner Brothers and J.K. Rowling has done with Harry Potter, having everything all in one space. But in this case, Stargate Command is also going to house Stargate Origins, which is a web series. So we're looking at a prequel series set before the SG-1 series, like many, many years before, going back to when the Stargate was first discovered in ancient Egypt. And the mysteries surrounding that event and how they found it and why they found it and how it works... It's all going to happen in that film, in that series. I think it's like 10 episodes is what they're saying. I don't know how long each episode is going to be. But it'll be shown through Stargate Command. A bunch of other things will be attached to that as well, behind the scenes. Original episodes of the, the older shows and so forth. So, look, I'm just glad it exists again. It's been one of those things I've been waiting on for a while now as to what they're going to do next. They've done comic books and novels and things like that outside of the main TV series, but since Universe sort of fell flat on its face after two seasons, they sort of let it be instead of trying to redevelop it or and or continue it on. Uh, I, I think a lot of people looking at the, the franchise and, and having grown up with it over the last, was it 15 years? There's a lot of characters there that we would love to see more of, you know, specifically Atlantis and possibly Universe because they haven't really been used correctly. Well, they didn't have enough time to develop. And obviously SG-1 being so beloved TV show, we'd love to have those characters back, or those actors back, in some way or form. I don't see that happening, unfortunately, with Origins. It's going too far back in time, but we might have a young General Hammond, for example. Well, he won't be a general then, he'll probably be a major or a captain. Uh, you could involve him, that'd be interesting. They have already kind of did that in the TV show, um, back in, I think it was one of the episodes which was set in the 70s, I'm going to say, in the earlier seasons. Maybe they can do that. I don't know. 
we'll see. It's it, I'm just excited that it exists again. Really, you know, having seen it so many years, and you know, the Star Trek reboots have done a good job in, in recreating excitement in that universe, and that's why the TV show is kicking off uh, the new TV show. So hopefully, this will sort of push forward. Uh, the series again in some way or form. I'd like to see more of it. I'd love to to read more of it. All those video games that we're working on that, ca- that got canned as well, uh, which was disappointing. But you know, those things happen. I guess uh, it's one of those things that I've always found weird with Stargate is the fact that it, as much as it was a big series, I don't think it ever got that critical acclaim or that big fan base as Star Trek did in its prime so that's just my point of view i think i don't think it quite got that and then it's probably because you know when it was when it was around and then when it came to an end sg1 in particular it was sort of in that period where you know star trek was was losing its cultural appeal you know through enterprise and science fiction in general was finding it difficult to sort of adapt to modern audience sensibilities and the changes around that and obviously video games had an impact on that but now you know having seen the last you know six seven years probably even further than that back to you know the first three lord of the rings films when pop culture started to really become a thing you get the feeling that this is a good time to reboot it you know there's a lot of fans who like i said who grew up with it and a lot of people who probably don't know what Stargate is and are curious about it. So why not? I'm 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 going to be I'm going to be quietly optimistic because this is an origin series. I'm worried that a lot of continuity might be lost, but it is the original uh, producers that are involved, and hopefully some writing team, original writing team will be involved. So you get the feeling that they'll know what they're doing. They know what they're going to get up to. So. Hey, you know, let's just have a Richard Dean Anderson cameo. Why not? I, I'm I'm quietly contemplating maybe something like that. I, I I wouldn't mind, but ultimately, I'd love it if this becomes a success. If this Stargate Command Online service becomes a big thing, that that'll sort of boot it forward into either a film franchise or a new TV series. So hey, film franchise, I'm totally down with that too. I wouldn't mind that at all. Now being Comic-Con, there's obviously going to be a lot of stuff happening over this weekend. I'm recording this right now, so I'm not going to be able to get to that. But I will be able to do this next week. So I'm going to see this right now. Next week will be largely about San Diego Comic-Con. <laughs> there's going to be a lot of stuff happening in regards to all the Marvel film slate, uh, the DC films. There's, there's rumors about you know all these new DC films that are now working on thanks to the success of Wonder Woman or what they're going to do in terms of the organization of those films. We don't really know too much yet. Obviously, Infinity War, we know we need to know more about that. We've just come off D23, so we probably won't have massive reveals as much as D23 may have had, but hopefully we will get a couple of trailers, maybe a, a new teaser for uh, Star Wars Last Jedi. That'd be nice. There's a whole bunch of other stuff, though. I mean, obviously, we had Disney last week. You know, there's all these other franchises we could talk about. It's going to be... It's going to be a fun weekend for someone like me and for the people I know because pretty much everything that, that's going to be happening in this show we're going to be intrigued by or going to be interested in and uh, I'm I'm excited. You have to be excited about these things. It's like E3. It's like when I was talking about that. If you're not excited by it, then you're probably not going to get anything from it at all. And, you know, at the same point, if you're not excited... Maybe there just isn't anything out there right now for you. And if so, let me know why. I'm curious to know why that is. Is it, is it just not anything that appeals? Is it just the way that the films are being made right now or the TV shows are being made? Is there themes or recurring themes you're just not, just not happy about that are constantly being used over and over again, like vampires, for example? I'm curious to know about that. So let me know if you can. Uh, on Twitter or on Facebook later on. But let's get to uh, next phase because I could talk about San Diego Comic-Con for a long, long time, but there isn't really all that much to talk about right now. I mean, yes, there's been a couple of trailers that have dropped. 
Uh, Pacific Rim Uprising has a new teaser, which is essentially like an advertising campaign for the Jaegers, which is obviously the big robots that they use. Uh, we see John Boyega in his scene uh, for this film. He has his British accent, which I'm all for. That's great. Uh, there's a couple other things. There's a, a new Netflix series called Bright, which is uh, by the man who directed or wrote Suicide Squad. It features Will Smith and I believe a few other actors from Suicide Squad might be involved in that as well. But it's an interesting sort of combination between a cop series and a fantasy story about like demons, vampires, and magic, and fairies. Yeah, that has an interesting level of appeal. I don't know exactly what's going to happen with that. The funniest thing so far that, that, that I noticed, though, was that Kingsman had a new trailer that, com- that came out, but there's also a, a new animated sort of short that crosses Kingsman with Archer. Now, if you know Archer, it's a bit, you know, it's a comedic, amusing show, and Kingsman... I guess kind of fits within that. I've had a look at it. I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. But yes, there's a lot more that will be happening and dropping over the next couple of days that I'll talk about next week. What I'd like to know from you guys is what you're hoping for as well. What you're excited about, what you'd love to see. And obviously this time next week, what happened and what didn't happen. What did you miss? What, what was something that didn't crop up that you were hoping for? Let me know in the comments. Moving on. In Sydney at the moment, we have the Overwatch World Cup qualifiers happening right now. This is a big thing. You know, I'm, I'm, I have become an Overwatch fan. Um, I didn't originally get into the, the, the series, but now I'm, I'm all for it. I'm absolutely down with the character designs and the, the enjoyment of the series and then the games and then the, the, the different levels and blah, 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 blah. But more importantly, Overwatch World Cup is happening in Sydney, which is a big thing for the local community. This is something that, you know, it doesn't happen all that often, although it's happening more often now. Things like not only having it in a, a main stage, in a, a big venue, but having a telecast worldwide, but then also having a telecast on Channel 7. Channel 7 are showing the, because the Australians are involved, there's an Australian team involved, um, and they are... I think that they're going to be up there with with the the qualifying. I think they might get it, might get in. There's a good chance of them getting in. They've already won their first round. I'm pretty sure they were up. They're up one, one win, one or no losses so far. They they swept their first round in qualifying, so that's a fantastic start. Hopefully, they'll be able to keep that going. But it's great to have this major event and having you know thousands upon thousands of people watching this on Twitch and and YouTube and whatnot. But then also having it streamed live to a local free-to-air channel like 7Mate, which is what it's going to be shown on, you know, having this big gaming event, and, and it's happening more and more often with esports, it's super exciting, and it's right in our backyard, which is even more exciting. Hopefully one day we'll get something in Perth. i got my two thumbs up, and I've got my fingers crossed at the same time. I'd love to have something in Perth. If anyone's listening, bring Overwatch to Perth. But yes, keep an eye out for that over this weekend. Uh, there'll be a couple more rounds of qualifying. I'm pretty sure they've got Portugal, teams for Portugal, Italy, and Sweden involved in Australia's group. Um, apparently, there's also Japan and Vietnam, I believe, is some of the other teams involved. So that's a pretty eclectic combination of countries for Overwatch teams. I had no idea that people in Vietnam played Overwatch. Apparently, they do. And that's great. That's really cool. Hopefully, they'll, uh, Australians will be able to qualify for that. Hey, look, I'd be great if Vietnam qualified for that. It'd be great. And, of course, that goes on to the finals, which happens on uh, later this year in the US, I believe. So I've always looked at the, the Overwatch competitive scene and thought, you know, I'd love to be involved in that in some way. But I know I'm nowhere near the level of quality that these guys are, are playing at. And that's probably because I play on console and not on PC, so my accuracy is probably low. Well, I'd love to try it. I, I don't think I'd be that good, to be honest. I don't think I'm... I'm, I'm probably the, the... Of all the games to play as an eSport, probably Mario Kart. <laughs> That's probably the only one. And maybe Tetris. And maybe Splatoon 2 is something that I can look at. Because that's one of the games that came out this week. And that's what I'm going to move on to next. Because Splatoon 2 is arguably one of the biggest Switch releases this year. Not only in terms of 
being a Switch game, because obviously we want more Switch games, but being an eSport-based game and being an online game that uses the new Nintendo app on your phone for communication. So there's a lot of bits and pieces happening here. Now, I've only had it for ooh, a couple of hours. I played some of the single player, the story mode, or hero mode, I think it's called. I've played a few rounds of online. Funny thing is, so far, I've only played against Japanese people. <laughs> I've won a few rounds, which is great. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty competitive, although I've, I've had opportunities where I, I should have done better. But that's just getting used to the controls. I mean, I'll tell you right now, I didn't play all that much of Splatoon on Wii U. It wasn't that big for me. It wasn't a... Well, I don't think it was as appealing as I originally thought. And when I did eventually buy it, I, I think I, I missed out that opening window of, of sort of, you know, getting in with the hype. I was a bit late on to the party with it. But now I'm here playing it from day one. And, you know, straight away, the first thing I did was turn off the motion controls. And I know a lot of people are like, no, but the motion controls is somewhere accurate. No, I don't care about accuracy. It's not about accuracy for me. It's about the fact that I'll be playing it largely with the Switch in handheld mode. I don't play it a lot with the TV. I don't use the controller pad pro all that much, although it's great. I largely play with the screen because I'm always watching something else. I have other people in the house who want to watch other things. Playing on the screen makes more sense to me. Using motion controls with the screen, incredibly annoying. So that's the very first thing, very first thing that I turned off. And I'm glad that I did. Accuracy-wise, I'm still pretty good. And I've obviously won a few rounds, but now, so far, it's been great. It's it's a really colorful game. It's got some good humor. The The story is, I mean, it's pretty simple. It pretty much does follow one from the first game. The, the Squid Sisters are still involved in some way. One of the Squid Sisters is missing. The other one asks for your help to find out what the hell's going on. And then you go from there for the single-player campaign. And then the multiplayer is pretty much the same as what it was before. But, the, I mean, the way that design is actually quite intelligent there's a couple of different levels of play so you have your standard just random multiplayer mode uh, you have a ranked mode and then it's sort of like a team pro mode which has other different elements to it or other different game types i haven't unlocked that or ranked yet i think i have to get to level five and i'm only on about four and a half it takes a little to get up to five just to start it does depend on you know, what abilities you have and what upgrades you might get to start with initially. And you'll get a few, but then as you know, you gradually start playing more and more and more, you'll unlock more abilities and more you know, weapons and equipment that can increase or decrease certain things. For example, like the very first thing I did, I apart from you know, just trying out the solo campaign just to get an idea of the controls, after having played the beta, I just wanted to make sure I was on track with that. I'm pretty, pretty am, pretty sure I am. I played a few rounds of multiplayer, ranked up to level three. Level three is the level you need to be able to unlock the shops, essentially. Like, they, they, they still exist, you can walk into them at any time, but they won't provide you anything until you reach level three at the bare minimum. Once you do that, you'll be able to buy, so there's a whole range of different uh, equipment, so shoes, or sandals, I guess, or boots, uh, and then you'll have uh, hats or sunglasses or headgear of some sort, and then you're just your general shirts or jackets. Each one will have abilities attached to it, and those abilities can vary quite significantly. Uh, the ones that I have right now, for example, reduce the amount of damage done to my character when I'm walking through the opposing colored paint. So you, if you don't know what Splatoon is, essentially it's, it's paintball in two map, oh, more like a major map, two teams, paintball, your color, their color, you have to paint the area in your color the most to win. That's the basics. And if you walk through the enemy paint, it'll either hurt you or it'll slow you down. So you don't want to do that. So I have an ability in my, I think it's one of the shirts that I have that reduces the damage done, which means that I can survive a little bit longer or I can just sort of run through a gap if there's enemy paint and I'm not affected as much. There's a whole bunch of other things though. You can reduce your uh, reload time on your weapons or how long it takes to respawn. You can increase the amount of paint in your guns so you don't have to reload as often. Uh, you can increase the damage done and there's all these other things. And you know, so far what I've found is that it's really 
basic, you know, the basic stuff comes down to sort of trial and error. Like you go into the basic mode or the you know, multiplayer mode, there's the main hub, you just walk straight in. It doesn't take too long to load up into a game, which I'm pleased with. That's the one thing I was always concerned with Nintendo as an online service. The Wii U was pretty solid. The Switch seems to be even more so, which is great. Playing Mario Kart was a cinch for the most part, although I did in the earlier moments of play have a few service issues. I think that's been ironed out since, and they're constantly patching it, which is good. But for the most part, I, I didn't have any issues, and so far Splatoon haven't any issues at all. I've been able to... I was playing about... I think I downloaded it all last night, and I'll explain why I downloaded it in a second as well. I downloaded it all last night. I started playing about probably about 11-ish. I ran for about an hour, uh, got to level 4, played quite a few rounds against Japanese opponents. Some of them pretty good, some of them not so. A lot of us were level 1, so we were all starting with the basics. You all start with the same equipment up until that point, and then you can go off and do other things beyond there. So you can have you know, all these different types of equipment. So it didn't take me too long to be able to get what I was looking for in terms of, all right, the, my main weaknesses right now are speed. I want to be able to be just that little bit faster. And having the dual guns, which is one of the new weapons they've added to the game, so you have two little pistols, it isn't as damaging, but it's shot per second, I think, is a little bit faster than most. And you have this ability called dodge, where while you're shooting, you can press B, and you'll roll either, depending on which direction you're moving, left or right, or, or back and forth. So it gives you a better opportunity to avoid someone else's attack. Or to roll out the way of a grenade, if someone drops a grenade in front of you while you're shooting, you just back out. Um, that's a pretty cool technique, I, I like that. But, you know, the one thing I've noticed is a lot of people are going for the roller. The roller seems to be a, a probably one of the more successful weapons that I've seen. It's pretty quick to uh, splat out a whole bunch of paint in one area. You can throw a whole bunch of paint from the roller onto someone. You can hurt them pretty, pretty badly and, and things like that. And the special weapons are pretty cool too. Like the one that I've got is essentially homing missiles or homing paint. Uh, you'll target a few people in the, on the map and you'll shoot a whole bunch of paint out towards them. If you last long enough, if you hold it long enough, you'll be able to shoot more. And they can they can hurt. They can really hurt. But yeah, it's it's a lot of trial and error initially, like trying to find the right equipment to get the right stat boosts. And a lot of the equipment has multiple slots for those stat boosts. And this is a thing. I don't know if this was in the first game. Like I said, I didn't really play much of the first game. But there's a character just off to the right of the main hub uh, in the center of the town. And if you find these certain types of upgrade items or... It's kind of like coins, but it's a different type of coin. You can you can essentially go to any character then that you see in the play field, and these are all based on other players. You can target them, and then select um, a, a little. I think it's the R1 button or R2 button, and it'll come up with their stats, and then it'll tell you what the equipment is. If you like the equipment that you see, or if they if they have a statistic or a upgrade ability that you haven't seen before. You can then purchase it with this new character, or this particular character, if it's not new, I don't know again. And he will then buy it for you, or he'll create it for you, and then you just buy it from him when it's ready. Uh, that's pretty cool. I think that's a, a really nice feature. You know, if you see someone with something you like, or I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be just for the stats, it could just be the look. Like the one I saw, there was someone walking around with a, a, a paintball mask, which I hadn't seen in any of the shops yet, and I was like, yeah, why not? And it had a good stat boost or a little stat update. So I decided to go for that as my first bit. You know, that's a nice little feature and that sort of opens it out to even more customization. You can also, with that same character, I believe you can change uh, the stats on any piece of equipment you have. So you can, if for example, you, you bought it for, or you like the look of something, but it has a you know, more ammo for your gun thing and something else you own already has that and doesn't really add much more to it. With the right currency, you can change that to anything else as long as you have the ability, the currency available to do that. I haven't seen any of that currency on the playfield. I think it's tied to either ranked or battle or something like that or maybe it's for Salmon Run because I haven't played Salmon Run yet. That's the one thing I'm still waiting to play. 
And the one thing that I'm probably the most excited about is like a local co-op battle mode. So hopefully I'll be able to do that soon. And I know a few people who are buying Splatoon 2 that I'm now part of a, a little Discord group. So hopefully I'll be able to get a few games of that in uh, over this weekend. Because yeah, that's probably the, the one thing I was excited about most of all. I'm pretty sure I mentioned this previously. This fact that the one thing that I hated with Splatoon was there wasn't that much local or single-player content. And I realized, you know, Splatoon was largely designed as a multiplayer game. That's fair enough. Overwatch was the same. And that's the one reason why I was a bit unsure originally with Overwatch. I didn't know that many people who played it. I wasn't all that keen to play the online stuff. I still like games that have local content. And it seems like Splatoon 2 has that in spades. Like the single-player story mode... I've been playing probably about two hours of that. I've only just finished the first area. You know, the levels are relatively long. There's hidden secrets. There's all this sort of stuff attached to it. The maps themselves, the little mini maps that you have to solve puzzles to get to the doors to get to that level, the next level and things like that. So there's a lot to it. But yeah, Salmon Run is probably the most exciting bit for me. That's, you know, it's like a horde mode or something similar, a versus mode. I'm very keen to try that. I'm very keen to play it. And it's, it's great to have something to play locally as well. I can, I can play the standard local modes now. There's a new section off to, again, off to the right, I think, of the main hub. And it'll allow you to set up a local LAN with any game mode. So it could be Salmon Run. It could be the normal multiplayer mode. That's pretty cool. That's something that was missing in the first game that I'm really glad that they have now. And it makes sense to have that with the Switch, especially because it's this... A portable unit they can have up to eight units attached at any one time you know why not take advantage of that and that's exactly what splatoon is doing it's a great game it's it's a lot of fun it's very colorful and it's a nice sort of refreshing change of pace from all the other shooters even overwatch itself i mean overwatch is pretty colorful it's it's pretty engaging but again it's still just you know kill other people or shoot things at least with Splatoon, it's not necessarily about shooting things or shooting people. It's shooting at the floor. It's shooting at the wall. It's painting this arena and trying to create strategic movement in terms of, you know, looking at the map and seeing what's available in terms of you know, empty spaces or areas where your team are, are lagging behind and things like that. It's a very different type of experience. And it's, yeah, it's very refreshing. It's It's engaging. And I'm glad that they've been able to... Not just port it from Wii U, but adapt it and add a lot more content to it that makes it more appealing to me, and I'm sure it'll be more appealing to other players. As a Switch owner, this has been a great first few months for this console. You know, having Splatoon 2 now, and ARMS has been great, although I haven't played, uh, haven't really got that yet, I haven't really got into that, I might do that later. But Splatoon, Mario Kart, Zelda, and having the Zelda DLC, all these amazing indie games that are coming through and they seem to be more and more each week now there's about four or five games each week that's brand new which is surreal for a nintendo console because it was never really like that in the past even you know the wii u and the wii the most you'd get is maybe two or three and now we're getting five or six in one week it's it's a great experience and it's a great time to be a, a switch owner for sure but one other thing i was going to point out Actually, there's two other things to point out. One, the first thing is, uh, why did Nintendo not release the pink and green neon Joy-Cons in Australia? Because I definitely want them. And then now they're going to be hard to find and probably more expensive because of that. Um, and I'm not necessarily a, a fan of the color pink. But for some reason, the neon pink and the neon green, it just really stands out compared to the original Splatoon, which was a sort of a darkish blue and a neon orange and it didn't quite i mean it meshed but it didn't quite mesh as i think as well or as as colorful as this pink and green option that they've used and i don't understand why they didn't bring the joy cons to australia i mean sure we have a shortage of consoles right now you know that's fair enough it's pretty much everywhere i think in japan recently there was a two hour wait just to see if you could buy one not necessarily just to buy one it was just to see if you had an opportunity to buy one that's surreal. That's crazy to think about that. But that just shows you how successful this console's been, and it probably will be for the next year or two, if not more so. But yeah, I would have loved to have those Joy-Cons. I think it'd be great. But the other piece of merch that came out 
uh, is the Splatoon Amiibos. And it's interesting to see the contrast in design between the new Splatoon 2 Amiibo and the original ones. And again, this is the thing of the, the, the element of color. The, the colors that they've used for me in this sequel just far more interesting and, and far more appropriate, I think, than the original ones. But the designs are far, are far better as well. They're slightly larger. They have just that little bit more detail. The ink that's underneath them sort of splashes out in, in fancy sort of designs and so that. Just, it looks very, very nice. The original ones look pretty good, but it just goes to show you, you know, as much as we may bag out the Amiibos now, that it's just a, you know, it's a money spinner. But just like the Switch, the Amiibos have taken on a whole new meaning because of the, the content that they've added on through all the Zelda Amiibos and things like that. They've been a massive success. The, Sam's, the Samus Amiibos are going to sell really well. Probably the Mario Odyssey ones will sell really well. These Splatoon ones, if, if, you've never, if you've never bought an Amiibo or you were not really thinking of buying one, honestly, I think they're probably the, one of the best designed Amiibos Nintendo has made so far. They're really well designed, they're nice, decent size, lots of color, and they add some really cool equipment to your character once you plug them in to your amiibo. And then you can also do the Smash Brothers thing where you can take your created character onto your amiibo, bring to someone else's house if they have a Switch. So you don't even have to bring your own Switch and just play them both on TV. So there's a little few extra elements to that. But yeah, I was, I was just taken by the design. I, I think it's really nice. And the Switch Pro Controller as well, which is pretty cool. Although, I, I, I was thinking of buying that. I don't think I will now. I already have a Pro Controller, and I don't really use it anyway. So I don't have a real reason to get that, unless I was buying it specifically because I knew I'd be playing it on TV. And I don't really do that. I use the handheld mode more often than not. So anyway, Splatoon 2, I would definitely recommend if you have a Switch. If you don't have a Switch yet, and you're looking for a reason... You now have, at the very least, four reasons. Zelda, Arms, Platoon 2, Mario Kart. Beyond all the indie content, which is constantly coming out as well. They've just added Cave Story. Although, for some reason, Cave Story on Switch is $30. I think that's just way too much for this game. I really do. And it's, it's unfortunate because when they did Cave Story 3D on 3DS a couple of years ago... You know, that was about the same price, and I think it had more content. So, eh, what can you do? But yeah, the, the, this is probably, if you have the opportunity to, if you have the money to do it, and you know someone has it in stock, this is a good time to get a Switch. There's probably going to be more available later on in the year when Mario Odyssey comes out, but you still have some great games coming out in the next couple of months. You'll have Mario and Rabbids. You'll have Pokken, uh, Pokken Tournament. And there's a whole bunch of other things in between, like I think there's Dragon Ball Xenoverse 2... As Minecraft will be coming out physically soon, I think is what they're saying, in the story mode. But yeah, it, it's it's a great time to have to be a Switch owner, a great time to have a Switch if you haven't already got one. But yeah, I definitely recommend Splatoon 2. I think it's a great game. It's, yeah, very creative, very colourful. Something that maybe isn't as colourful, and you can probably question if it is as creative, is Destiny 2. This is the other sequel that I've been looking forward to a lot. And at the same time, I'm I'm a bit worried about it. Because a lot of people that I've been talking to lately are like, okay, why is this a sequel? You know, why is this not just a DLC pack for Destiny? If you were considering Destiny as a rebuilt MMO in terms of, you know, constant updates, new content, online world... Why not just have this as an expansion set? And having now played some of the beta, I can kind of see why Bungie has done this. Although, obviously, there are many other reasons why this is a genuine sequel and not just an add-on content pack. But having played it so far, I, I, I think there's a lot to like about Destiny 2. And there's still quite a lot of questions to ask about it. I'll get to the like bit first. Hold on a second. Water is always a precious commodity. Never let it go to waste. The beta has three elements to it. So there's the main story opening bit, which is sort of an expansion to what we saw in the Destiny 2 reveal a couple months back. So if you saw that video, you'll know that it begins as the attack 
on the tower takes place. You then fight through that. You go up to the ship, and it ends with a cutscene. This is, in terms of the beta, a little bit more expanded from that. You get to see an opening sequence before you see the, or before you walk into the main tower when it's being attacked. You then have a bit after the the cutscene. So that cutscene doesn't actually exist at the end of when the they sort of edit it in. That doesn't exist in this beta, and it probably won't exist in the final final product because there's a whole extra sequence to that campaign story which leads into a proper cutscene, which explains what happens to, for example, your character and your ghost. I'm not gonna spoil anything because I know there's a lot of you who might not be playing the beta or haven't played it yet, or might just be waiting for the full game so you don't get any spoilers at all, uh, which I completely understand. But there's a lot of interesting elements that I've found and a lot of questions that a lot of other people have been asking since this beta's kicked off. The other two elements, of course, was uh, two new crucible and one strike, which is you know it looks cool, and but it doesn't. I guess the problem with the beta is the fact that it's sort of separated parts, and there's no patrol area because that's probably the biggest reveal of all is this new patrol and new maps, and that's not a part of the beta at all. Whereas the original beta, you had I think the first one or two stories parts, you had a map so you can go to different locations, you had the first patrol area in space, oh no, in, in space, on Earth, and then you eventually unlocked, well they eventually unlocked the moon so you could explore the moon for a little bit, and you had the tower itself which you could explore. It feels kind of limited compared to that. This beta feels more like parts of a much larger hole, and there's a lot more secrets being kept to the side so we don't know much about it just yet until the proper game comes out there's no equivalent to the tower just yet although i think it's called the farm and they will be revealing it i think only for like an hour of the entire beta it's going to be available for one hour that's pretty ridiculous but then again there's going to be so many people playing this they probably will have server issues so i can understand it but to only have it available for an hour, yeah, it doesn't really give you much of an opportunity to see what it's about. Although I have heard there's things like familiar characters and apparently the return of a ball, but now a proper soccer net or a goal net, so a football goal. So there you go. I don't know about that one, but yeah, I, will, I guess we'll wait and see on that. But the, the, the strike, because the story that you get to play ends on such an abrupt note, and such a cliffhanger note, there's a lot of questions that are hanging out while you're playing the strike. It's like, okay, well, what happens next? What happens to you know, this character and that character? What happens to the tower? What happens to the people in the village? Why do you go to the farm? Where is the farm? You know, there's all these other questions that we don't really know, and yet the strike just gets you going again into another typical sort of strike, although there's elements of that, which is pretty cool. So yeah, I, I don't know about that one. I, I'm, I'm, I feel like this is more of a more of a demo than even the first beta because of the fact that it's been chopped up into parts instead of something that feels like a cohesive this is what destiny is which is what the first beta was you know it was the, the story that leads into the tower which leads into the map which gets you out to a patrol which can go back into the strike you know blah 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 this is just three icons on the screen you get two crucible missions or crucible options and the strike in the middle. You don't get to replay the story unless you want to create a new character. So you don't even have the option of replaying that as the character you are. So I don't, I'm, I'm, a bit, I'm a bit torn on that. I mean, on one hand, it's great to play it. On the other hand, yeah, it, it feels like it, this could have been a better representation of Destiny 2 in terms of showing you how different it is to the first. If you're using this as a selling point on why Destiny 2 exists, and not, as I said, as an expansion set to the original, I don't think this is doing it as well as, as Bungie had hoped. However, having said that, I don't think this is trying to sell it as Destiny 2. Like I said, it's just a beta. They're just testing servers, they're just doing all these, all these little things, there will be issues that they're trying to iron out before the actual launch. 
So they're probably not worried about that at all. And again, you know, I, I get that. I understand that. I just would have liked a little more cohesiveness, I guess, is what I'm trying to aim for here. But what's here is still pretty cool. You know, the campaign does reveal some interesting tidbits and some hints on what's going to happen next. And there's some equipment that you get to use. There's the new legendary weapons or exotic weapons. There's a whole new layout for the menu system and things like that, which there's the, they haven't really explained fully what's going on with all of that, but still makes some sort of sense and still sort of hints on what can happen. But let me bring up, so one of the things that uh, I noticed is the cooldowns on your abilities seem to be just that little bit longer than what they used to be. And I'm reading an article from Games Radar. I was reading an article about it. This is by uh, David Houghton, published about, God knows how, a couple of hours ago. And it goes into pretty fine detail on some of the questions that they have, or he has, in regards to the beta. Um, in terms of the cooldowns, he, he makes a good point. We're playing three prefabricated characters. They won't have the, the abilities that we're used to from the first Destiny. So a lot of the complaints in terms of, oh, it takes too long for your grenade to recharge, or it takes too long to get your super up, it's completely and utterly tied to this character design, which is really just a, here's a general gist of what this character can do. We don't know anything in regards to how long it's going to take for these abilities to upgrade with this new system. It's not just tied to your armor anymore. It's not all about, you know, little statistical anomalies and things like that that will improve your, your upgrades of your weapons and things like that, or how long it takes to reload your grenade anymore. It's, it's very different. And it's just too early to tell how that's going to work out. But yeah, they're three fabricated characters, and it's it's not going to be a, a final representation of what your character is going to be. There's a huge amount of customization that's going to happen in this game, probably even more so than the first. And that's because of weapon mods or armor mods. Now, this is a little bit different than the first game. Whereas in the first game, you'll have like a tech tree, and you'll be able to choose maybe you know, three different levels of suppression fire or, you know, the, the kind of output your gun can do. And then towards the end, you'll have options for whether you want it to be arc damage or something similar to that or, you know, all these different types of options, but you're limited to choose one or two at, at most. Weapon mods is going to change things up a little bit more. We don't really know how it works yet, but when you look at the perks of your weapons that you have, that they're given to you through these fabricated characters, and you go down to the mods section, there's a fairly large gap there for all these different mods you'll probably pick up as you play. And they'll all do different things. They could, they could increase your reload speed. They could increase the amount of damage you output. They could change the kind of damage you output at. It could improve the scope. You know, there's all these different things that can happen. And it looks like you're able to chop and change that at will. But we don't really know how many mods you'll be able to use at one time. We don't know if there'll be, yeah, like a, a limit on all of that. Or on, you know, matching particular mods to others to improve certain things. So, yeah, again, very early days on that sort of stuff. We don't even know how these drop, whether it's just a random drop or it's something you have to purchase from a weaponsmith. You know, gunsmith, as they call it in Destiny. I like the idea that there's far more options now, which is good. You know, it creates an even that sort of added layer of customization now. So the gun that you have can be completely different to the same type of gun that another player might have. Like, that was the one thing that I, I thought was interesting. You know, you have customization on your armor, and all these characters look great and completely different to each other. But generally speaking, the weapons are about the same. If I had a Zalo Supercell and my partner has a Zalo Supercell, they pretty much do the same. Now, it looks like if we both had a Zalo Supercell, just for curiosity's oh, like example's sake, we could have completely different contrasting versions of that same gun. You know, mine could have a different scope or it could have uh, a different layer of damage or more ammo, whereas the other one could be a smaller scope, something more short range than long range, you know, that sort of thing. And that opens it out completely and utterly. 
I'm not saying that's actually going to be like that. I don't know if whether exotics going to be included with this weapon mods options, but that's something to be uh, something to keep an eye on, and something we'll probably know more towards launch. Something else that they they mentioned. There's a couple of things that they mentioned. I should say, uh, legendary shards is one of the new currencies that's listed. None of, no legendary shards drop during the campaign or the strike in this beta or the, the crucible matches that we play. But it does, and as the article mentions, it kind of invokes the early memories of Destiny, of the, the, the shards that used to drop. We don't really know how this is going to work. I mean, the last few updates, so from the Taken King on, sort of simplified that down considerably, and we're hoping it'll be the same case here, but I don't know. It's it's going to be interesting to see how that works and how that involves all these new weapons and, and armor sets and things like that. I I would like the ability to have the weapon do what I want it to do and not just the weapon be what it is. Like, if I want to have a shotgun that could be used as a sniper rifle, yeah, that sounds pretty pretty strange, right? But it's possible. You know, that'd be kind of cool. That would, that would open it out a bit more. And maybe the, the whole idea of exotic or uh, legendary shards is to upgrade a standard weapon to a legendary weapon. Give it extra abilities. That's something to think about. Something else that they picked up on, and this is probably the most interesting point. This is kind of a, kind of a spoiler, I guess. So if you don't want to listen to this, skip ahead. Probably, I'll probably skip about 10 minutes. How about that? This is something that they picked up on during the strike. So during the strike, it's called the Inverted Spire. You'll go through this area of um, Cabal and Vex. But if you hang around long enough, apparently near the start of the Inverted Spire Strike, you'll spot a dropship which is connected to the Fallen. It's a Fallen dropship. But what drops isn't necessarily Fallen. Apparently they're a new race called the Resilient. They look like Fallen, but they're not. They only have two arms. They don't have multiple arms. They have different looking armor sets and colors attached to them than what we're used to. Now the suggestion is, or the rumor, the theory, is that the Fallen are actually part of the good guy set. We have sort of befriended them over our time since Destiny. They're not necessarily on the evil side after having what happened with the Taken King and liberating them of the, the ills and so forth. That's the theory. This group, even though they look like Fallen, when you go up close to them, they're called Resilient, it looks like it's a splinter group that doesn't agree with that alliance. So that's the theory. I think it's pretty cool. I think if we had that moment of kind of like, you know, when Master Chief and the Arbiter teamed up, you know, that sort of stuff, the Covenant, and we suddenly had these two enemies that have been fighting for ages suddenly come together for a brief moment and work side by side to stop an even more powerful foe. Maybe that's what the Fallen is here. And of course, that makes sense because Bungie made Halo and now they're making Destiny. So they're sort of mimicking their previous storytelling, perhaps. Maybe that's a sign that they're running out of ideas? I don't think so. I mean, you know, Destiny still surely has plenty more ideas in the tank. There's plenty more concepts to work with. But there you go. I would like that idea. I would like the ability to have the Fallen, or at least the majority of the Fallen, become more of an alliance to the cause, especially after what's happening here with this new cabal race who are pretty much tearing up the galaxy now that the, the Taken King has gone and all that sort of stuff. They want to have the power of everything to themselves. And we have to fight back. And probably that means creating alliances. But how long has the alliance been already running, if that's the case? You know, how long into the future is Destiny 2 from Destiny 1? Was there a time skip? You know, is there like a couple of years or is it only a couple of months? Again, this is sort of up in the air. And a lot of it will be for a while yet, probably. But, uh, I mean, you know, of what I've played of it so far, there's there's a lot of compelling reasons why I, I 
I want this to be a proper sequel. It does wipe the slate clean. I think we've gotten more comfortable in our skins in terms of the characters that we've created and the world that we're playing around in. You know, patrols have become meaningless for a lot of people because it's just the same thing over and over again. We've all played the strikes to death. We've all played the raids to death. If we just have another DLC pack, all that other stuff, whether it gets updated or not, it's just becoming invalid. It, it just doesn't fit the mold anymore. It doesn't have the same kind of appeal. Starting from scratch and having new worlds to go to and new stories to tell and also having new characters to play as, I think is the right way to go about it. Especially because, you know, when Destiny started, it had a lot of issues. It had a lot of concern over what it was trying to be that it failed to be. And then over the last two, three years, it's sort of evolved to a point where it's starting to get closer to that original goal. Now is a good time to be Destiny 2 and get all the people who've been playing and try and get new people involved in a world that feels even closer to that original theory or that original goal in mind of an open world, the ability to explore either with yourself or with players or with randoms at will and do all these different things. You know, and having things like a proper map, you know, people joke about, oh, there's a map in it. It makes sense from a Destiny standpoint because there's going to be a lot more content linked to it. It's not just a patrol anymore. It's a proper open space. We can go wherever you want. And instead of just going from one section to the next and reloading it and back and forth and back and forth, now you're going to various different locations, each one with its own little story element. And it feels more like an MMO, even more so than before. And that's probably the influence of Activision and possibly Blizzard in terms of that design phase. Uh, I would like to think that, I mean, I know that Blizzard specifically were working with Bungie during that sort of Taken King phase to try and influence and evolve the product to something closer to what that original idea was. So I would like to think that they've done that again in this point. You know, Blizzard seemed to have a good thing going. They have done for a long time. Why not use their services? Why not have their experience come into play? I think the biggest question though of all for me in destiny is and this is something that if you play that beta campaign story to the end we'll know all about what's going to happen to ghost don't listen now again if you don't want to know any secrets or if you don't want to be spoiled ghost is probably one of the most important characters from the original destiny and obviously he had a big story to tell and he had a big evolution in character going from Peter Dinklage to Nolan North. So he's become that sort of key linchpin between what we remember as our character being and our interaction with the world. You know, our character doesn't really have much to say. The beta doesn't really have much to that either. There's no real voices or dialogue with our character and all these other people that we come across, which I think is probably the weakest link. You know, I get why we have a character that doesn't say anything because it's supposed to be us. But I like the idea of my character actually saying something instead of just being a blank slate. You know, I, I want my character to actually have some level of interaction that isn't just Ghost talking on his behalf or her behalf. Um, according to the trailers and then, of course, the beta itself, there is a moment in time where we lose our connection to Ghost, that we lose the power of the Traveler. And that's a, a big story beat that's going to be explored a lot in those opening moments of the game. How we get to the farm and how we, we sort of re, reconnect to that or do we connect to something else entirely? And that's going to be a big story point and that's going to be something a lot of fans are going to be eager to know about. And that's probably, again, the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm a bit iffy about the whole inverted by, uh, strike. The inverted spire strike. I'll get it out right in a minute. That's what, probably why I'm, I'm a bit disconnected from that, is the fact that all of a sudden, hey, there's Ghost. And if you play the story bit, you know you lose the Ghost. So what happens between that and the strike? You know, is it one of those things where it's explained in two minutes and then it's done? It's like a cutscene and then, oh, here he is again. Or is there a longer period of time where we are without it? And if that's the case, we won't have any of our abilities. We'll be susceptible to damage even more so. And if we die, there's no reviving. 
the ghost is the one that revives us, so we'd have to restart the entire story, right? Or restart that level again. So, yeah, that's going to be that, that's going to be something I'm probably the most interested about in terms of the story of Destiny Two. Everyone's going on about oh, there's way more story now. That's great and all, but as long as the story is interesting, as long as it makes sense, as long as it engages me as a player. And if they get this bit right with Ghost, that will get me involved because he is the linchpin for me. He is the character that made Destiny appealing and made it enjoyable. You know, that dialogue that he had, even the Dinklebot had that same few moments in his dialogue where it was just entertaining. And Nolan North took that to the next level. Northbot added just even more to it. And hopefully he'll be able to continue that legacy on. I, I don't want to lose him. I don't want to lose my Dinklebot or my Lonelybot. I don't care what you want to call him, but it's Ghost. We need that Ghost. He's important to the story. And, of course, that means the Traveler is also important to the story. And the Speaker is also important to the story. And we don't really know what's going to happen with him either. Um, you know, will he survive the, the attack on the tower? Will there be a new Speaker? Will there be a whole new level of power that comes from a, a new entity entirely to combat this attack on, on the speaker and the, the tower and the traveler? So yeah, a lot of questions about Destiny 2. The beta obviously was never going to reveal any of those really, but it has raised a lot of new questions that hopefully we'll be able to answer sooner rather than later. I wouldn't mind... Um, knowing a bit more before I go into the game, but maybe that's just asking too much of, of Bungie to get them to be able to do that. It's a, it is a good beta in terms of, you know, explaining certain elements like how the, the game will play and how it looks. It does look a lot more interesting. Does that first story level, the, the particle effects and the lighting effects, it looks more meatier than the original. Gameplay-wise, it's still the same. You know, there's some abilities that uh, are really entertaining for me. The, the, just quickly, the real story I had in terms of me playing this, when I played the original beta, I played as a Titan, and then when I played Destiny itself, I never played as a Titan ever again. I played as a Hunter for, I think, the year, first year and a half of my time with Destiny, and then eventually started a Warlock, so I had, a, I had those two. Never played a Titan, but the beta, I played as a Titan. So I decided, screw it. I played as a Titan for this. I might just actually start Titan for Destiny 2. I might, actually, might not bring my characters across from the first game. I might just start a whole new thing entirely. Which to me makes more sense, depending on how long the time skip is. If this is going to be a whole new thing, I may as well start with a whole new character so I'm enjoying it even more instead of it just being, here's my hunter again. Oh, I have a new ability. Oh, it's just the same as the other thing, really. You know, the Titan is something I never really played much of. And his shield wall ability that he has, I think is pretty cool. It's either a full shield wall that goes straight up or a half wall where we can just duck under. It's cool because when you duck under, you automatically reload as well. That kind of changes things to me. The other two characters, so the the Warlock has a either a healing well or a damage well. So he increases your damage output. And the Hunter has a new dodge technique, so you can jump in and around a lot faster. Um, we'll see how those play out. I like the, the shield wall, so I think I might actually go with a Titan for my first Destiny 2 character. Of course, I'm playing it on PC when it comes out on PC as well, because I have a laptop now that does that. Because I want to play with the higher graphical settings to see what it's like. I want to play with a mouse to get the accuracy level out, you know, and, and really get involved in, with that scene too, especially multiplayer maybe. But are we playing largely on Xbox One? So I can always go with Titan on Xbox One and then go back to my Hunter, which I'm more adept with on PC. So I'll play around with that. And obviously we will know a lot more about this after the beta's finished. I don't know if I'll get to see the farm, but I'm sure you'll get to see plenty of videos about that on YouTube. So keep an eye out for all of that. I'll have more about Destiny 2 later on. Obviously, it's coming out in September, so it's not too far away. And uh, in the meantime, I'll be playing a lot of Splatoon 2, so you'll hear me, you'll be hearing a lot more about that, no doubt. 
Uh, before I go, because we're wrapping up, we're nearly on the hour mark, uh, I just wanted to say something in regards to uh, something that broke this morning, a piece of news that broke this morning. This is a bit of a downer to end this podcast, I know, but it's something that's important to, to talk about, and, and there's a reason why, and you'll, you'll hear that in a second. Uh, as you know, uh, the lead singer of uh, Linkin Park uh, passed away this morning. Uh, Chester Bennington, who was... Uh, apparently found to have committed suicide, um, which is sad enough as it is, and unfortunately, it's just one of those situations that you can't really wrap your head around when you see, you know, someone who you admire or you've been listening to or watching for such a long time and never actually seeing this, the pain and the struggle that they go through in life and then suddenly they're gone. And you ask all these questions, but we, we didn't know, we never noticed. Why is he doing this? Why did he do that? We don't know. It, it's a sad story because, you know, here's a person who, he had a powerful voice. He had, you know, a wife and six children. And he's now gone. And, you know, all, all the, the fans and musicians and artists who are coming out and, and showing support and, and understanding and recognition is a great thing, but I think the most important story to take out of, of all of this, never mind the fact that, you know, people are going to be listening to Linkin Park again, which I think is a good thing. I, I always liked the first two albums. The the rest, probably not as much as, as good as the, the original two, but they still had their moments. But in when whether it was depression, whether it was something drug-related, whether it was something beyond that even... You know, this is something that, you know, it hits home to me personally because I have had moments of depression and anxiety over the many years of my life. I'm an old man. I'm mid-30s now. I feel old to me. Maybe not old to some people, but to me it is. When you've gone through what I've gone through, it feels old. But it's not something that can be taken lightly. And it's not something that can be, you know, laughed off. You know, it's it's hard to explain what you're going through when you're in that state, when you're unsure of reality and you're not sure of yourself. It's very hard to get, to get that across. And I know I have known people who have gone through this. And from my point of view, it's very difficult to understand it and to get to grips with it. And then I've gone through it myself in some way or form. And it's all very different for everyone. It's it's a different experience for every person that has it. Because we're not all the same. We manage this differently. We cope with it differently. And because of that, our reactions to certain things vary considerably. For what could be something very, very simple, like, you know, falling down a step. Or you know, dropping something on the floor or forgetting something or, you know, things like that. It may seem funny to some people. For the person who does it, it may seem funny sometimes or it's like, a, oh, whoopsie. But to other people, it can hit hard. It can hit very hard. And especially if you're in the wrong state of mind at the time, it can mean something completely different to that person than what it is to you. You know, if you drop something... Someone might look at it as something far more than that, that it's it means something else that has a greater level of meaning than something that, that you might consider it to be. So, and that's just the, the way the mind is. It's a very intricate and unforgiving and confusing thing that we have that drives us. And to get our points across and to explain it to people sometimes can be very hard and very difficult. And that's just something we have to try and, and live with. And unfortunately, there are people who just can't. And unfortunately, that's what's happened here. It's just someone who has gone through a, a major struggle in life for whatever reason and couldn't cope. He couldn't do it anymore. And it's heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. Absolutely. But this is a reminder of, and when everyone else is on, been saying on, on Twitter and Facebook that I've read all day, all day today, you are never alone. Never alone. There's always someone out there 
to talk to. Even if they don't necessarily understand what you're going through, just being allowed to explore it or to say it aloud can help sometimes. Just to be next to someone can help sometimes. I'm gonna add to that though and say, just be mindful when you do reach out to someone, be mindful of what they're going through as well. Some people can't cope with other people's pain. You know, it's, it's just as difficult to, to survive your own struggles in life and then have someone else come in with their struggles. And that's something that I've had to go through myself more than once. And it's a very challenging and, and sometimes awkward and, and painful thing to have to go through. But again, you're never alone. And if you are struggling, there are professionals out there. There are people who can cope with these sorts of things to help you along. You know, there's, there's Lifeline, there's Kids Helpline, there's all these different places. So if you're listening to this, if it's something that you think can help you personally, or you know someone who needs it, do it. Trust me, it's something that, that can help, whether you believe it or not, it is something that can help. But while I say this, go listen to the first two Linkin Park albums. If you've never listened to them, if you haven't listened to them in a long, long time, just do that for me, will you? And I'll leave it at that for this week. Thank you for listening. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry that it ended on a, a bit of a sour note, I guess. But it's something I wanted to explore just briefly. It's something that hit hard. And I'm sure a lot of people listening here today and whenever you decide to listen to this, uh, will understand and respect as well. And the dog next door is barking loudly. So this is a perfect time to end the show. Uh, thanks for listening. I'll be back next week. I'll be talking more about Destiny 2, no doubt, and San Diego Comic-Con's uh, many reveals and strange coincidences and occurrences. So I'll be back then. In the meantime, stay safe, play nice, play now, go hug someone if you need it. And I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>